From the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly. I got to say, love the name Max. That's my my puppy dog's (laughs) name. Uh, Who have just recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. It actually makes learning pretty cool. Yeah. Now, I listened to this with my son, and it was so fun to listen to. I loved how modern it was with a cool ant that they really dug, and like they dealt with bullies. Uh, My son also enjoyed all the math involved. Like He thought it was really cool. Well, and I have to say, I love anything that brings learning and fun together for kids. I really, really wish that something like this was around for my teens when they were younger. We would have absolutely devoured this on our car trips. It would have been amazing. It's perfect for kids ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, joined here by my co-host, Brie Tucker. Well, hello, hello, everybody. How are you? We are, we were just talking actually about the state fair and I felt like a little carnival announcer, Brie Tucker. I oh. know, right? Like that's, I love how we have our state fair here in Arizona in October, like September, October time, because yeah. it's, is that rare? It is. Yes. In the Mm. Midwest, they tend to have it more in the summer. Oh, yeah. That would not work here. No, no. Can can you imagine trying to get on any of the rides when it's 115 degrees outside? Like, I burn my butt just getting into my car. It'd be (laughs) horrible. Even October, like, it's still a little hot outside here. And... Like I'm, I'm just saying. Like I don't want to go during the day. I kind of want to go at night, but I don't want to go at night either. Maybe I just don't want to go. No, you want to go. You just want the weather to be a little bit nicer. Like I wish it. Like last week we had fantastic weather. I was actually able to wear jeans a couple of days. Yeah. I loved it. And then now I'm back to like sleeveless tanks and shorts again because it's all sticky and muggy. Yeah, it is. It is what it is. But I the guess. state fair does include. You're talking about the lovely array of deep fried foods. Deep fried foods. Deep fried Snickers. Deep. deep oh my fried gosh. Oreos. You know the uh, the best state fair thing I've ever seen, and this was when I lived in California. It was a chicken sandwich, like a fried chicken sandwich, mm-hmm. but the buns were Krispy Kreme donuts. Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, I didn't eat it, but I'm like, that is like the epitome of state fair food right there. That is something that only a kid can digest. Yeah. And be happy about because I would, I would probably eat like one bite and be like, this tastes so good. And immediately I'd hear my stomach go, gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, I'm at the state fair. I can only support a body. But deep fried sticker bars, <laughs> I am all about. Like when actually, when we lived in LA, we used to make them in, my friends had a deep fryer. And all you do is you wrap like little Snickers miniatures in dough and like, pop them in the deep fryer and it's like they come out and think of like a donut with like chocolate and caramel in the middle and wouldn't that's it be, a deep it'd be all melty and in the middle right? yeah right? in the middle it's like a chocolate caramel eclair center. type thing yeah it's delicious but <laughs> and it has nothing to do about what our guest is today i know who our guest is <laughs> Um, Our guest is the wonderful Melinda Moyer, and I first found her because she wrote an amazing book that totally caught my attention called How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes. I think that's a very, very good title. It like really cuts through the core of like, yep, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. It's not raise assholes. And the way she does it is she takes all the science and all the research because uh, she is a science journalist and columnist for the New York Times. But she takes all that and applies it to parenting and applies it to how you can actually use this into what you do in your day-to-day life. 
I know, right? Because that's kind of what we need these days. There's so much out there. We need it. 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 It actually, I'm getting ready to say, like, it follows along with No Gut Mom very well. Like, it does. That's what we try to do. We try to get all the research for you and then pre- uh, present it all on a pretty little plate. Pretty not, little not package. Not deep fried, but not, not on oh, a plate. Oh, we should deep fry it. <laughs> Can you imagine how many more people would be interested in parenting advice if we're like, deep fried parenting advice? Yes. If only we can find a way. Until we do, enjoy our conversation with Melinda Winter Moyer. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. Welcome, Melinda, to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I I'm so excited to have you here because I was just listening again to your book, which is so wonderfully named "How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes." Uh, this morning, and I'm <laughs> I'm just so overjoyed to talk to you. So welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Now, I love how in your writing you really take the science around raising kids and being a parent and try well, not try to, you're very successful in making it applicable to like us who aren't quite science-minded. What did you see? Like, what challenges did you see happening that led you to write this kind of book? Yeah. So let's rewind a little bit. Um, I, I love using science to answer like every question that I have in the world. That's just sort of been how I've been since I was a kid. And, um, and so I'm, I'm a science journalist. I have been since 2007 now, which is like, oh my God, that's like, I'm so old. <laughs> I feel that way all the time too. When I think back to the 2000s, uh, I'm like, what year is it? Oh my gosh. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Like those things that are going on right now where it's like 20 years ago. Yeah. Back in 1990, they're like, uh, no. Or having to scroll back <laughs> right. so far for your birth date. That too. But <laughs> I, oh it's God, a roulette thing now. I just go. <laughs> <"Poom."> <laughs> It's true. <laughs> Sometimes it's true. It's like it's like the wheel of it's like the uh, wheel from um, Price is Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Speaking of being old, right? The Price is yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I used to watch Sorry. that as a kid. Um, so I have always tried to answer my own parenting questions by looking at science. And um, as you know, at first when I had little kids, my questions were like, you know, related to keeping them alive. <laughs> like, like, is it safe to swaddle my kid or not? And like all the advice I feel like I stumbled across was contradictory. And I was always so confused. So that's why I turned to science to see like, does research give us any kind of consensus on these questions? But as my kids got older, I found that the, the kinds of questions I had shifted and this was, you know, three or four years ago too. I felt like there was just like a lot of bad behavior in the world mm. that was very apparent, like people just not treating each other well, a lot of bullying behavior that that was being seen on TV and in mm-hmm. the media and, and stuff too. And I, my kids were getting a little older and I remember thinking like, what are they learning from this? You know, are they learning from the bad behavior around them? Because we know from social psychology that children learn what's appropriate behavior by looking at what other people, especially people in positions of power are doing. And I realized that like my biggest question was basically, how do I not raise assholes in this Mm -hmm. world in which I feel like there are a lot of assholes that are modeling bad behavior? I feel like a lot of us have that question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so Mm -hmm. that was the other thing is I started talking to other parents and I realized they also 
like at the core, this was their biggest question. Like, how do I not raise an asshole? And so I started looking to see like, is there research on this question? Is there, you know, can I look in the child development literature and the parenting literature? And I realized there was like a ton of research in various like subcategories of this question um, that was really interesting. And some of it was really surprising. And that's when I was like, okay, I want to translate this science into something that, you know, average parents can read and understand and take some insights away from. But I, the other thing that was like really interesting about the research was that even though it gave like really helpful insights that were kind of broad. It also taught me that there's not one single right way to parent. And that I felt like was another really important point to be making in the book. Like there are so many ways to be a good parent and there, and it really depends on you and your kids too, and how you engage with them really, you know, you have to respond to your kids are. And that was like another big theme that I wanted to come through that like this idea that, you know, you have to do a certain thing in order to be a good parent and you can never make mistakes like that is not at all true. The research shows that's not true. Which and, is- and there's also the factor too, like you talked about how all, how you're, you have to be considerate and, and think about meeting your kids where they are, but also like you to elaborate on that, every family has a different structure. Mm-hmm. And again, you may have a sister, a best friend that you, you share so many core beliefs with, but their family structure is so different than yours. They're going to have to do things differently. Absolutely. Yes. And that's comforting to know that you don't have to fit into a particular mold to be a good parent. But going on that, there are many ways to be a good parent. But in your research, did you find ways that you definitely should not do as a parent? (laughs) Well, there are things that, yeah, that if you can avoid doing them to the degree possible, then that's for the best. But with the caveat that if you make mistakes for a while, it doesn't mean that you're your kid is doomed for life. Like I have, you know, I, I would say yelling at your kids is probably not the best way to engage with your kids, but I do it. Like we all do it sometimes. And that's okay. Because also sometimes that gives us opportunities to, um, you know, come back to our kids and take responsibility for our actions and model how to, you know, how to make an an actual real apology in these things. Um, but yes, I, I feel like I read all the time about things that are recommended you do as a parent. I'm like, Oh shoot. I'm not doing this and my child is going to be like, that's totally. what I think. I think that's where a lot of us go, right? It's where a lot of us go. Like we try not to, like the logical side of our brain is I know that by yelling at my kid one time or by, you know, giving in and, and not holding my boundary this time that it's not going to ruin my kid. But the logical side of your head says that, but then there's that little devil voice in your head that's like, oh no, you just ruined the whole thing. You just ruined the whole thing. <laughs> totally. And like we talked about on the podcast, now my kid's going to end up in a van down by the river with no job and just eating like, ramen noodles or whatever like they can find. That'd be yummy, ramen noodles. Forever. I know. I would eat that. It's not, that bad. it's not the worst life. It's not the worst life. True. <laughs> a blood pressure issue from the sodium there. But you know, hey, other than that, it's all good. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bri, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like streetcar tracks, and my bike's tire, like, went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just, like, skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing 
with me, nothing at all. And it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing. And (laughs) active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. I've used it on my son's mosquito bites, and I wish I would have had it the time I totally scraped up my hands. Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order, use code NOGUILT. Hey all, it is Joanne and Bree here and we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. As I was uh, listening to your book this morning, I I came across one of the chapters you did on praise and uh, contingent praise and how it relates to kids' self-esteem and uh, how it like, (laughs) what I found very, very, very interesting is how in your book, you kind of differentiated between raising a kid with good self-esteem and raising a child who's a narcissist, which I think based on your earlier comments, like we're seeing a lot of examples of probably narcissism in our media and from our previous leaders. Uh, Can you like briefly describe like, how do you know if you're raising a kid's self-esteem through praise or if you are contributing to raising a narcissist? Yes. Great question. So um, one thing I found that I found to be a big relief was I had this idea going into looking into this research on narcissism and self-esteem that narcissism was what happened if you like filled your kid's self-esteem bucket up too high. Like if you were too, um, too loving or something, I was like, if I love my kid too much, are they going to become a narcissist? And that's not (laughs) thankfully what the research says. Love is good for our kids. Um, 
But what we don't want to be doing and what we know can increase the risk of narcissism is if we like over, if we, if we're kind of like not genuine in the way that we react to our kids. And let's say they do terrible things and we're like, oh, sweetie, you're perfect. Don't worry about any of the things that you're doing. Like, I, and we were talking about this earlier, like if your kid is like throwing poop across the room and you're the type of parent to be like, oh, isn't he so funny? Isn't that charming? Like that's not a good thing to do. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's like it, when you're a parent who really like you treat your kid, like they can do no wrong. That's one thing that we don't want to be doing. Another thing is like really, um, giving what's called inflated praise, like overinflated praise where like your kid does something that's like nice. And then you're just over the top, like, oh my gosh, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. You're so amazing. You are now that the kind... new mother Teresa. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. That kind of, of um, feedback also is, is linked to an increased risk for developing narcissism. So those are two things that we don't want to be doing. And then the, the other way to develop narcissism, narcissism is actually like really complicated is um, really through like not letting like abuse is another way and and not showing our kids that we love them and not telling them that we love them and just being really like emotionally um, closed off and the kind of nasty parents like those, those kids. And this is where, like, I think of former leaders, like those kids can also become narcissists um, mm-hmm. when they really have like a very, very bad upbringing. So what, when I hear Letty love, yeah, I was going to say what I'm hearing there is almost like it's conditional love. You only get my praise. Right. So that's, so this is another thing. And I don't know that it's exactly related to narcissism, but it is a really big problem when we think about kids' self-esteem. And this was something I was not expecting. I was talking about how a lot of the research I came across was surprising. Well, I really wanted to understand what do we know about how healthy self-esteem develops in kids? And there is now this huge literature I'd never heard of showing that when we put a lot of pressure on our kids to excel uh, to do well in school, to get the lead in the play, to be the on the soccer team, um, to get high SAT scores, whatever it is, or to have perfect behavior. When we put pressure on our kids to do these things and we make it clear that this is really important to us, that our kids do these things, one way we make it clear is through this kind of contingent love where we treat our kids better when they do the things we want them to do, when they perform the way we want them to perform, when they achieve the things we want them to achieve. That is really not good for kids' self-esteem because ultimately, even though we don't mean for it to come across this way, it teaches kids that our love for them is contingent on what they achieve, what grades they get, you know, how well they're doing on certain activities or whatever. Um, and, and that means that they don't feel universally, universally loved. Like they don't feel unconditionally loved. And that is just, that is really, really bad for their self-esteem. Yeah. That struck me. That actually struck me in the book. Um, and you followed up with it too, but like, cause we all get mad. We all get mad. We all get disappointed. We like when something doesn't happen or when our kids act a certain way, I mean, like just last night, like my son came to me after I was like preparing dinner. He's like, I just don't want a pumpkin enchilada mom. Can you make me a quesadilla? And um, automatically my face fell and I was like, okay. Okay. <laughs> Why didn't you call me? I would have come over for dinner at your house last I, night. I know it was good. It was good. But I was like, okay. And then immediately in him, I see him turn. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And we all get like that disappointed as parents. And so it's not saying that you should never show your disappointment or show your displeasure with your kids when something doesn't happen the way you would like it to happen. But really, it's talking with them afterwards and saying like, okay, like letting yourself cool down, coming back to the situation and uh, talking it through. 
uh, and explaining your reasons behind it. Yeah, it's almost like mm-hmm. in that situation, it's like, I wasn't mad. You don't need to apologize for what you said. Mm-hmm. I just, my thought was, oh, gosh, now I got to make something else. And I just didn't have the time or the energy to do it. Yeah, my yeah. thought was like, no way. <laughs> yeah. I'm drawing a yeah. hard boundary line. We were talking about boundaries this morning. I'm drawing a hard boundary line. But so I, I, I like what so. you were talking, though, about um, it being contingent, because yeah. we were talking about that earlier, too. The contingent. And I think... I mean, like a lot of us have experienced that, especially growing up in like the 90s where, you know, you were supposed to get good grades and we had banks, like bank accounts that were set up with local banks that would pay you per grade. Oh, I, I think the banks still do that. Like you, if students set up an account, you get like $20 for an A and then like $10 mm-hmm. for a B. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say what mm-hmm. I remember being paid for was I brought my uh, report card in and I got coins to go to showbiz pizza which is like oh, wow. <laughs> i wanted those days because i wanted my 25 coins but that paying for grades it still goes on mm-hmm. i hear like my my daughter's parents do it she tells me about it that they have to earn a certain grade to be able to raise money to go to this thing uh what research have you found about the paying for grades you know I don't, I haven't found specific research on that practice, but it fits into this broader category of both. Um, I mean, essentially it, it falls under the idea of like, what are we doing that shows our priorities to our kids are how they perform. This is a like, we are showing, when we pay our kids for good grades, we are communicating to them very directly that this is one of the most important things that you can do as my child is to get good grades. This is one of the most important things to me. Um, and, you know, I mean, money, like what more direct way can you talk about value than like literally paying your kids to get good grades? And so this is what is communicating to them. Like, this is the most important thing to me. And we know we, what we do know from research is that a lot of kids, um, especially kids who go to like schools that are high performing schools, like, you know, schools that put a lot of pressure on kids or where parents put a lot of pressure on their kids, that those kids will actually say to researchers, I think my parents care more about my grades than they do about me. They love my academics more than they love me. And so they really do internalize this as like a lack of, of love and and unconditional love. And then that really gives them a hit to their self-esteem, but it's so hard. And so I think it's like, you also have to think about the ways in which you might inadvertently be communicating to your kids that grades are important to you. And just as an example, a very relevant example in my life my third grader just started having to do timed multiplication quizzes, which I hate for many reasons. And I don't have time to get into, but she was really anxious about them. And I just, I just wanted her to not be anxious more than anything. I'm like, I don't care if you don't pass this. I just, you know, want you to not worry so much about it, but she had her first quiz on um, Tuesday and she came home from school and I was dying to know how she did not because I really cared if she passed, but I wanted to know, like, is she emotionally okay? Was it stressful? Like, was it a terrible experience? But I, or went out of my way to not bring it up because like she walked in the door and I wanted to be like, how did math go? But then that was going to communicate to her that I cared about her grade. Even, you know, I didn't really, but like, it was going to make her worry that I thought, you know, I was thinking about her grade all day. And so I didn't bring it up and I didn't bring it up. And then she was doing her math homework and she was like, Oh mom, I, I didn't, I didn't pass this time. I have to take it again. And I was like, Oh, that's okay. You know, no worries. Like, but you know, the, we have to sort of take those moments and, and, be intentional about how we're engaging with our kids and what it might be communicating in those moments. Yes. I I hold myself back from those as well. The asking about grades and tests. I, I used to be a former elementary school teacher and I actually share your same dislike of the time tests. I did not like that I had to have my students take them. 
If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. But uh, just the what you want to ask is so different than what your kids need at that moment. Because usually, from what I've seen, is that my, my daughter or my son will get in the car and eventually the question I have on my mind about the grade or the test that they've been worried about or like the part in the school play, they will bring up naturally in conversation. Like it'll definitely come up. And then you're like playing this nonchalance game. Like you're like, oh, oh, great. Okay. <laughs> when inside you're like, okay, yes. <laughs> unfortunately, that question answered. unfortunately, that little anxiety demon pops out of me way more often than I wish it would <laughs> of the whole, like, how are you doing? Yeah. This does bring up one more aspect of this issue from a different chapter in my book. I think, actually, I don't really remember if it was a different chapter, but I, I talk about rewards and um, the effect that they can have on kids. And this is something where I have used rewards in the past. And then I started digging into the research and realized, okay, actually, if you do something like pay kids for grades or give them rewards after they do something that you like, then it does ultimately slowly erode their intrinsic motivation to do that thing. And there've been really fascinating studies on this, like where they've, they've, you know, had kids draw kids who like to draw, like ask them to draw things and then gave them, gave some of the kids rewards after they drew, drew them. And some of the kids didn't get rewards. And then the next time they put markers in front of the kids, the kids who had been paid to 
or rewarded for drawing were less interested in drawing after that, like if they weren't going to be given the reward. So we do know that it slowly, you know, deflates your intrinsic motivation if you have received a reward for it in the past. So that's another reason why you probably don't want to pay for grades. It's exactly what you're saying. Like then you get your kid gets to college and it's like, well, I am not getting paid for this. Why do I care what grades I get? You know, and right. And I mean, you hear people argue the whole point of like, well, later on in life in jobs, right? If we're doing well, we tend to get bonuses or raises and it helps prepare my child for that part of life. And it's like, well, I, I hear what you're saying, but your kid is still a kid right now. So they don't have the same mindset. They don't have the ability to wrap their head around that concept and everything. And there's a reason that adults get that and that perhaps. Perhaps, perhaps it isn't the best thing to start with kids. Yeah, but also if you think of like bonuses and stuff like that, they are very subjective. They're subjective based on the boss and they're usually not measured by anything else. And so bonuses cause adults a fair amount of stress and you're always like compared to your colleagues and like don't even get me started with gender differences (laughs) and like how men are usually rewarded more than women, like all of those things uh, to be aware of in that world where it's not exactly the most ideal circumstance we're talking about when we're comparing them getting bonuses and this adult to what we're raising them to do as kids. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, but still it's funny because I like, I've been aware of this research, especially as a teacher. And so we de-emphasize grades in our house so much so that my daughter came to me and she's like, yeah, I was talking with my friends and they're like, don't your parents care about your grades? And they're like, no, my parents don't care about my grades. <laughs> and I'm like, well, this just makes me sound like I am the most not with it parent and like totally like over here on the couch. Like, but the zoning thing is out. though, is that she realizes that like, and that's, I guess that's the part of the conversation is that she may say it that way and people might d- dig in more questions and they're going to say like, what, your parents don't care about your school at all. And she'll probably say, well, they, they do. Mm-hmm. They help me when I, when I need it, but they don't yell at me if I got a bad grade on a test. And then that's when the, it'll come out of like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. I did clarify and she's like, well, yeah, mom, of course. But that's not how they <laughs> communicate. And then like no. again, the little anxiety demon pops out of your head of like, everybody's going to judge me now. <laughs> yep. I know. I know. They have the damnedest way of saying things sometimes. <laughs> right? It, yeah. It's hilarious. Well, what are you excited about right now going on in your life, Melinda? So I have been expanding my newsletter. I have a parenting newsletter on Substack called Is My Kid the Asshole? Which is <laughs> like a joke based on, I, I realize not everybody knows this Reddit meme, Am I the Asshole? Where like people write in and they say like, I, you know, did this thing to my girlfriend and she's mad and am I the asshole? And they're, they're always the asshole. But um, <laughs> like, yes. But I feel like my, well, my newsletter is maybe the opposite where it's, I, you know, I talk about challenging kid behavior um, and people write in with like, my kid does this thing. It's my kid, the asshole. And usually almost always the answer is no, your kid is not the asshole. Here's why that behavior is normal. And here's how, you know, here's how research suggests you can manage it maybe. Um, but I've been doing a lot more with my newsletter recently, so I'm super excited about it and having a lot of fun with it. Just answering like all the questions I get from parents and calling up experts. And it helps me a lot as a parent to have, (laughs) to have the ability to basically answer my own and other people's big parenting questions. I love that. I think I, I have to subscribe to your newsletter because I yeah. will have that Me question popping through my head all the time. I love it too. I was actually looking through your newsletter and uh, you were talking about teen sleep because that is something that is on my mind a lot with the f- 
like high school freshmen who start oh. school at 7:20 in the morning here yeah here. i think california did a good thing california, california good you thing. know it, and it doesn't and it, you're right like talking about the research it doesn't make any sense the research says that they need more sleep mm-hmm. and yet traditionally this is how our schools have always gone right like elementary yep. I just it it's elementary latest and then up up up. And for those of you who who we've like kind of gone in the middle of this conversation for, uh, who might (laughs) be thinking like, oh well, teenagers can go to bed earlier. Their circadian rhythm actually shifts when they're a teenager. So this is why Mm -hmm. this is such a big deal. Why we're talking about it? (laughs) There's actually a physiological reason. Yes. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And it's really bad. Yeah. Um, Lisa Lewis wrote this great book, The Sleep Deprived Teen, and it talks about all of the downstream consequences of. Um, sleep deprivation in teens. And it's like, I mean, you, you can't even like count them all. There's so many, but like mental health and their academics suffer and they're more likely to get injured. They're more likely to take risks that like, you know, driving too fast, um, more likely to self-harm. I mean, and there's all the equity things we don't want to have happen, right? All the things it's so dumb. Yeah. I, and it seems like such a simple solution, like such yes. a simple solution that people just will not do like just shift it later. We get them more sleep and look, no, I now I get it yeah. from a from an admin perspective of the school that it it's you got to like re reroute reroute buses and and staffing and all that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. it's doable. It's doable. If you it give is. people enough time, notice, and resources, they can make it happen. And if it's and if it would have such a positive impact on so many kids going forward, mm-hmm. it's a no brainer to do it. Well, especially okay, think of it this way: you could start the elementary schools earlier. And yes. those high school students like can also like help th- their like get kids to school in the morning too if they don't have to be at school on time or like hmm. I don't know. There's I hadn't a lot of benefits. That. I hadn't thought of that. That's just a very good the, point for a lot of families. I know. Just reverse them, right? Yeah, it, I, it, it's ridiculous because yeah, my littler kid wakes up so much earlier than my bigger kid. It's just common sense to have it switched, and yeah. <laughs> well, Crazy. it has been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on. You're so welcome. This was awesome. Yeah, We'll talk to you later. All right. Thank you. Okay, guys, this is like a call out to researchers out there. Obviously, we need to have um, a study done on the correlation or the effects of paying our kids for grades. <laughs> There's no she, research on it. Melinda said she couldn't find anything that was specific, like target right on that was the exact focus of the study. And I want to see it. I want to see it too. I bet you could do it because I was thinking how hard it is to do research on parenting because you basically have to have a control group and like a test group. And it's really hard to justify doing something that you know has poor outcomes for kids. Right. Like making people do that. So you have to find people who are doing that already. But I think you can with grades because I think like it hasn't been proven absolutely that paying for grades is associated with poor outcomes. Well, right. And like I, like we already said earlier, when you and I were talking off mic, we know a lot of people that do it. Yes, a lot of people. So I mean, I don't think it would be hard, but it is, but it, well, it wouldn't be hard to find the people, but you got to think about the longitude of that study. Yeah. Right? Like, like how probably long? Good, good 20 years. I think 20 years. Like take it from like high school and then follow those kids and see how they're doing in their careers. But also I think you have to assess their mental health and their mental states and how they view like challenges or. Well, and I don't even know if high school's early enough. You might need to start at like middle school. Middle school or elementary school. Yeah. And it starts in elementary school. It can. But yeah, and obviously we're giving our opinion on this one that both of us like we don't do that. We don't we have our feelings that we don't think that's effective in our families with our kids. Yes. But I would I want to see this research. So if you are listening to us and you do research or you fund research, 
I'm I'm putting out a request for this one. <laughs> request for proposal. Well, until next time, remember the best mom is a happy mom. Take care of you, and we will talk to you later. Thanks for stopping by. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.